vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs were often adapting to a new reality. This new podcast series from Vegan Mainstream is an opportunity to help you when it's time to pivot. These interviews will come from inside and outside of our community, and I hope as your host, Stephanie Redcross West, I can inspire you and give you the tools that you need to move forward. Hello, hello, and welcome to our next interview. I'm excited today because we're going to be talking about the challenges of entrepreneurism. We're going to be talking about travel. We're going to be talking about shopping. And we're really going to be talking about kind of the behind the scenes look. I know for many of you out there as budding entrepreneurs or many of you who are already entrepreneurs or just maybe vegans checking us out, it's always good to hear the stories. It's always good to hear the background. Many of us know businesses, know brands, know individuals because we follow them, because we subscribe, we read their blog posts. But what I hope today happens is it gives you a little bit of insight into the why. Why our guest today has created this dynamic and amazing website called It's Brie and Ben, but also the philosophy behind it, the purpose behind it, and how maybe as we look into the future, what we may expect from not only um, from our guest Ben, but also what we may expect through their travels, through their business ventures, and hopefully give many of us maybe some insights and some tips on things that we can incorporate into our business or our future plans. So without further ado, let me say hello to our guest today. Ben, it's wonderful to have you here today. Thank you, Stephanie. It's wonderful to be here too, and a privilege to also to be talking to you today from the unceded ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations and their peoples. Wonderful. So before we dive into all my questions, before we dive into what about this, what about that? Yeah. What I always love to do is give people a little bit of background. Let's just roll back, kind of jump into the time machine, and maybe let's talk about when you started and talk about the original vision and what you kind of had planned to create. And then we'll fast forward to today to where you are. Sure. So to talk about my business, it's Brie and Ben. I first have to kind of talk about how I got into uh, the vegan space and entered the vegan philosophy. It was 2015 and I was living in Los Angeles with my then girlfriend and now wife, Brie Nemiroff, who's the other half of it's Brie and Ben. And one day we we realized that we'd gone a full week without uh, consuming any meat products. I remember we just kind of looked at each other and just said to ourselves, hey, you know, after we had this realization, we just said, hey, I, I feel pretty good, you know, after that. You know, I'm not feeling any weaker. Actually, I'm feeling pretty strong. And she said the same thing. And we uh, thought, okay, maybe, you know, let's let's try this vegan thing out and see if we continue to feel better. And we, over the course of the next year, incrementally uh, took out animal products as we went along. So we first start, started with red meats, then chicken and then fish, and then started working on dairy. And then got to the point where we just weren't, hankering for any of those products anymore. And we were feeling quite satiated and we're learning along the way, trying new things, trying recipes. And it was actually a great opportunity to explore and get it, learning how um, to be creative in the kitchen as well. And um, by 2017, we had gotten married and we did a cost-benefit analysis uh, right before the wedding where we realized that, hey, we've always wanted to do a honeymoon, like, for a few months and we were thinking about a road trip 
And the analysis showed that we would actually save money being on the road, staying at Airbnbs along the way, as opposed to having an apartment in in Los Angeles, even if we put the stuff in storage. So it just goes to show you how crazy prices get <laughs> are in major yeah. cities. And I can I'll touch on that in a little bit. Actually, it has to do with my research. But when we realized that, we thought, hey, um, let's do a honeymoon where we uh, explore the parts of the U.S. and Canada we had never explored at that point. It also was beneficial too because Brie was working for a vegan publication and most of her articles were about vegan spaces in different cities. At that time, she covered a lot of LA and she was looking to uh, write about and cover more. So in 2017, we put our stuff in storage and then did our transcontinental journey going up from LA to Vancouver and then clear across Canada and then dipping into the Maritimes, then back into Maine and then across the US. And um, Along the way, we stopped at vegan establishments and businesses and uh, in all in cities and other peripheries and kind of got to learn about the vegan communities there and the vegan entrepreneurs who ran businesses there. And for me personally, I've always had like an academic mind and I've always loved writing and looking into why things are and how things are and why a place is the way it is. And that really excited me, kind of learning about veganism, especially in my early days of exploring it and how that turned into communities and yeah. how, how that bolstered like a certain identity there. And I was just fascinated by that. And by 2019, we had created so much, we had generated so much content and I had so many ideas from that. And we were, Brie was looking into expanding from that publication and writing on her own stuff. And so we thought, hey, let's start It's Brie and Ben, which is our website there. It's brieandben.com. And the mission for that was not not just to be another, quite frankly speaking, like another white couple just doing van life and just showing off, you know, what all these places we, we go to. We didn't want to have like that privilege aspect because we wanted it to be accessible and be just as practical as possible and talk about the many facets of veganism that were there. So we wrote about not just these destinations and businesses, but also travel tips about how to shop kindly and respect the spaces there and minimize what's called leakage or just like loss of money to big corporations and think more about like how to shop, you know, keep it local, shop with small businesses and what to look forward to do that. And also how to be kind to yourself. Like we have an article about how to travel as an introvert and how to manage your energy levels and know when to take breaks and things like that. So the Mission is to write articles and provide resources for those who want to shop, travel, and learn kindly. Perfect. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions because you yeah. covered so much ground that I really want to dive a little bit in. So when you decided to do your travels, when you were going up, like you said, from LA up to Vancouver, kind of across Canada, and then dipping into the US, how long were you on the road? So the first stretch of it was from March to November of 2017. So that was about eight months there total. Wow. Yeah. And then when you did that first eight months and did a break, did that change when you got back on the road? Did you just apply some of the things that you learned? Did you kind of retool or was it just time to get back on the road? I know sometimes when you get used to traveling, you know, you kind of, you know, you you desire to kind of get back into that, into those things. How, how did that work when you got back sure. on the road? You mean like, did we miss the routine of being home versus being on the road? That kind of thing? Yeah. Yes. Well, we, we checked in with ourselves a lot to kind of keep that sanity and keep routine in check. I'm the kind of brain type where I like to have a routine because that increases the chances of getting things done. 
And so I don't just go, oh, wow, this is great. So there were a couple things that helped us out. One, we both had full-time jobs as we were traveling. I was a travel agent at the time, so I was working like standard nine to five while we were doing that. So like I would go explore the destination in the morning, like a vegan bakery or something like that. You know, I get to see them as they're opening up and get to explore that. Stay out of their way because, you know, they were in a rush, but they were like happy to talk as they were doing it. Yeah. And then go to work and, you know, while eating their pastries that I brought back home with me or back to the Airbnb. And then depending on the time zone, if there's, you know, do stuff at the uh, end of the day. And I say that because by the time you get to like the Maritimes, like there's a four hour difference from like the West Coast. So like I was starting work at like 1230 and then working until 830. <laughs> it was, it got crazy. I was like, well, how does this work? So we established routines so it didn't get to be so nerve wracking. But yeah, it does take energy out because you know, in your off times, you are, you're thinking like, okay, explore and then take a, you know, then take a nap or, or something like that. But then you're thinking, oh, I got planned for the next destination. Got to do the next trip. And Brie was excellent at, at doing that. I give her a lot of props for planning what would be the most, the best stuff to hit. So that was love- great. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and I really like the idea that you guys were working while you were doing this. I think a lot of times when people hear these stories, they're like, how could people take up this much time? And, you know, how could this work? And, you know, I mean, they're kind of wrapping their brains around it. But the idea that you were working and doing this and kind of, you know, making it almost a part of your lifestyle as opposed to it being like a vacation or, you know, those type of traditional concepts of like, you know, stepping away from life and just purely traveling. I really like that you kind of intertwined it with life. You were still working, you were still, you know, like you said, you did balance time zones and all those things. Because I think for a lot of people, when they do want to get on the road or they want to travel, they worry that they can't kind of mix those two things together, that it's one or the other. You know, you have to take time off or, you know, we're always in the grind and we're all working. Yeah. Uh, To that, I would just say it is possible, but it, it does take a lot of time and effort. There are days in which you're just thinking, like, I'm exhausted, but we got a plan for the next week, a week or two. And I'd say just if anyone's interested in doing that, they, if you have the, the privilege of being able to work remotely and travel and go to destinations like that, I'd say just be kind to yourself, have clear deadlines, and check in with your, your energy and your body and think, like, okay, do I have the energy to do this? Am I going to feel better at it or inspired at the end of that, or am I just going to feel even worse? And myself for not having a great time. So it's just being honest and conversing with yourself and your travel partners is is always something I recommend to make sure you have a better time doing it. That definitely makes sense. And you mentioned the idea of being inspired. I think that's what a lot of us hope for. But, you know, sometimes it's a little bit different when you set out on a journey like this and what you experience can be different than what you expected. Did you have any gaps between what you thought it was going to be like being on the road, at least for the first 18 months, eight months, excuse me, versus what it was like when you were on the road. Was it different? Were there surprises along the way? Or were there really maybe just opportunities that you stumbled upon that were really just a pleasant surprise? You know, sometimes I think we think surprises are always bad. Sometimes surprises are pleasant and wonderful things. So I'm just curious the difference between what your expectations were and what your actual experience was. Yeah. I learned that there is a there's a big difference between planning, say, like the logistics, so like planning your travel route and your lodging and all that versus your day to day. I found out I actually kind of found out my brain works that works that way where I do great with the logistics and like planning the the transportation and basically getting there. And then 
Rhea was really excellent with punning like the day-to-day -day itineraries. So that was one thing I was not expecting. I thought I was like, oh, I can do both. And then I realized, oh, wow, she's actually stronger at doing that. And then I'm better at like the, the driving and then planning the routes, which is um, okay. I, I find that was actually a great lesson is if you're traveling with other people or working with other people and collaborating, identify where their, their strengths are and where yours are and see where they can interlock and they can serve each other. At first you think like, oh no, I must be letting someone down Like if I'm not able to do that. But no, you, you have other strengths that you can provide. So therefore, just listen to that, be honest with that, and let people know what you can do with that and see ways what you can, how you can work together to make that happen. I always have like um, intellectual curiosities then surprises. So in that regard, on the trip, I was really surprised and to see just how veganism was explored and manifested and in different ways, depending on geography and just the cultural environment that I was in. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see the diversity within veganism. And also, I think it's exciting as well, because as we talk about more and more people becoming vegan, you know, having that moment where you realize that it it's going to mean a little bit different to different people, depending on their culture, depending on their background, and how they kind of bring it into their culture. And it kind of, you know, becomes one is a very sometimes maybe even unique experience for certain regions or certain cultures or certain locations. And I think as vegans, it's important for many of us to see that moment or understand that moment or interact with people who are, you know, translating, I would probably say, veganism into their culture so it can be something that stays, something that sticks. Because if we yeah. push veganism in, in one way and on one way only, it's hard for it to become something that becomes, I guess, ingrained and also can become, you know, that true lifestyle experience. Indeed, yeah. Now, you talked a little bit about your research project. Walk me through, just so I make sure I understand, how is the research project work with the travel? How does that all work together? And then we'll dive into the research project itself. Sure, yeah. So the research project was born out of something I observed along the way while we were writing about and getting It's Brie and Ben off the ground. I'm an essayist, so Brie writes a great deal of the travel guides and makes practical and will admit I'm a very heady guy. I like to think again, like I said, why things are the way they are, why places developed the way they are. So as I was writing our essays on our website about like the cultural environment and, you know, talking about the city, the cities and their history and how veganism came to be in certain places, I realized that I was like, I want some research and some stuff to back that up. So I went into academic articles and looked for like business literature on veganism and vegan entrepreneurship. And I found that there was very little written about it. And at first I was kind of, okay, I guess it's an early thing that makes sense. But it frustrated me because I wanted to, I had so many questions and wanted to explore those questions in great detail. And there just wasn't uh, enough, at least at that time, that uh, really would shed light on it. So I had an idea of doing a research project on the grad school level on veganism. And it wasn't by 2019, you know, I was kind of fussing with it. And I was thinking like, oh, that'd be great to do. And it wasn't really formed yet. You know, we were working full time and we were still traveling. So it, I thought maybe later. Then the pandemic hit. And uh, not only did we have to put our travels to a halt, but my travel agency I was working at the time furloughed all the employees. So we were kind of yeah. stuck in one spot. Yeah. And yeah, my heart goes out to anyone who was in that industry at the time. I mean, there were so many that were impacted, but it was particularly hard there. 
So we were kind of thinking, okay, what do we do? And I thought, you know, this might be a great time to create some content. And I'd been talking about grad school for a while to grow my skills and research and writing and learn a little more about web design on the side, not related to grad school, but just try to learn a little bit more about that. So I thought this might be a good time to do that. So I enrolled at the University of Northern British Columbia, based in Prince George, uh, BC. And in 2020, I started that research project. And if I may say, um, interesting note, it I had veganism in my mind, but I was entering academia and I was a little afraid of saying vegan to the because I had seen it in the literature. So I thought, oh, there might be some prejudice or discrimination against yeah. it. Just thinking like, oh, this is not serious. It's just a eating trend. When I knew it wasn't, but I was kind of worried about it. And I mm-hmm. give my advisors, Dr. Zoe Melanis and Mark Grew, a lot of credit because came up to them sheepishly. And I was kind of trying to find ways to say vegan without saying it. So I was thinking, oh, it's about sustainable businesses and tourism and stuff like that. And they kind of looked at me like, you're holding back on something. You got you got an idea yes. here, kid. What do you really mean? Yeah, you know what do you really mean? And I kind of was like, okay, well, I think veganism might be a good component here. So like, like, and I explained it a little more to them and they thought, that's cool. That's great. Use it. And I, so I give them so many props for encouraging me and not just uh, kind of taking my anxiety at face value. <laughs> They're very good about that. So after some time, we developed a project, and in the end, it looks like this. It was a grad school level thesis research project that looked and examined how vegan entrepreneurs in Vancouver, BC, experienced and operationalized the vegan philosophy. And what that means is just what do, what are the common themes that they experience around veganism, and what are the common difficulties that they experience or opportunities that it presents, all that stuff. And I didn't want this to be just a research paper that was then archived later. I, I had come to have a great, um, a great liking and respect for vegan entrepreneurs. Um, and I wanted it to create this project to be in a format that was accessible to them and not just them, but also policymakers and the general public who would want to support them in the future going forward. So I at first like presented it like, okay, I want this to be an essay form. And it just didn't really look out didn't really look good that way. And then my advisors, the same ones that were like, hey, yeah, go for the go for the veganism. They also thought like, well, we really like your website. And you know, could you format it in something that looks like that? And I said, yeah. So we then decided on doing a format called or not called, but in the format of an academic blog. Mm-hmm. The project that looks has the style of a blog, but also has the um academic necessities of a, a paper. So that includes like citations and uh, third-party research and other graphics and models to kind of describe what I'm talking about, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, so that mean you yeah. redid the website or you just did a, a separate portion of it? Separate portion. It was just a whole section there. You can see it there at the top section. If you go, just click on the, the top bar, then you'll see Ben's Vegan Vancouver in one of the drop-down okay. menus. Just click on that, and you can actually to this today you can read the project in its entirety. Wonderful. Okay, yeah. just wanted to make sure people could get to it if they if they wanted to see it. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. So, what would you say? I mean, I know it's impossible to sum up all the work that you've done in this quick interview and in this discussion. But what would you say if you had to pluck maybe two or three of your findings out that would maybe either resonate with our audience or be something that people would be surprised by? What would they be from from the work that you've done? What have you learned? Sure. 
actually could I, I there were four main themes to it that I, that I discovered after talking to the vegan entrepreneurs of 12 businesses in Vancouver um okay can I can I kind of squeeze in the fourth in there that be okay absolutely absolutely great thanks so the first one that was really interesting to me was vegan entrepreneurs entered the and applied the vegan philosophy into their missions after sort of experiences in health or for the sake of health of for themselves and for others and not just for stewardship. I mean, stewardship is very important and protecting animals and environment is is up there for for them and other vegans as well. But I was interested in just how much health was such a prominent concern and just a topic in everyone's mind. They wanted to provide products that were beneficial to the health of their communities and to those around them, as well as helping out the environment. And the second was the observation that veganism as a philosophy in their mission statements lent to a mindset and an environment for greater inclusivity in their business spaces. And uh, the third was very interesting to me is that even in cities that are have a reputation of being so vegan friendly, and I would say compared to others, it definitely is, an air of discrimination and just... Uh, mistrust like people being scared of the v word is still yes. present in those and the last one which not only applies to vegan entrepreneurs but i would think entrepreneurship in general in not just vancouver but all major cities is that the cost of doing business is skyrocketing to very concerning levels and i'm sure a lot of your listeners are thinking oh yeah definitely but what i've heard and my other researchers indicated that it was very alarming to the point where it's just those costs are just causing barriers to entry for so many new entrepreneurs to enter the game, as well as for those who are who are currently there to stay in the game. And it's very concerning. Yeah, I could definitely imagine that. And not just in general, but through everything that we've gone through recently, with so much change in supply chain, with so much um, change, you know, kind of post, if we can say post kind of pandemic or those, at least those initial years that a lot of businesses are kind of getting squeezed. You know, a lot of businesses just don't have either access to what they used to have access to or access at the pricing that they had before. So their businesses had to shift to keep up with the, um, you know, sometimes new expenses or even expenses that were reasonable or tight before, Mm -hmm. but are now just astronomical because, you know, it's just very difficult to, to access things that, you know, were, I don't want to say readily available before, because I don't want to make it sound like it was easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just that, you know, some of the pathways that existed before just weren't as tight or they just weren't as limited. I definitely feel that a lot of our listeners have, have felt that kind of like squeeze in their business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that really rings true and just what I've heard and what I, I saw. And in my paper, I wrote that there are still some things we can do. It's not inevitable like that has the squeeze has to be there but i think we have to address a lot of systemic matters and get those entrepreneurs and and patrons and policymakers alike have to kind of work together to address that and um in my paper i wrote that during the pandemic it was great that they had like a stimulus then that really helped a lot of business stay afloat but it only helped during that one specific time and i'm not saying that all city governments should just give stimuli you know stimuli and other assistance all over the place, but there is a, there's just not a great environment in many of these cities to promote 
not just vegan businesses, but just entrepreneurs and allowing new ideas and businesses with creative minds to, to flourish and try these things out. So I don't have a concrete like idea of what that would be, but just I think policy, like citizen, concerned citizens and voters and cities alike really should address and see like, okay, what is it about our policies that aren't allowing these entrepreneurs to really flourish? And a lot of these cities already have like sustainable, actionable projects and goals in mind. And, like so many of them address, you know, carbon emissions and thinking about entrepreneurs as a resource to reach those goals, I think is essential. And if they don't do that, then it does them a disservice and doesn't help them reach any goal or pledge that they make at all. Yeah. And I think entrepreneurship is, is so defined differently in people's minds. You know, when you read like a memoir, when you read someone's story, especially when someone's kind of created this big mega company in the end, you know, when people think about entrepreneurship, they think of it and these like big, huge companies. But I think often the where most people start, they don't necessarily always start with venture capital dollars. They don't always really start with this huge amount of money, or if they do start with some money, and most of the time it's from their 401k, you know, it's from something that they built and they're really kind of taking a chance slash risk on, you you know, kind of reallocating that money into this business dream with the hopes that this business can not necessarily be the next, you know, as they would say in the US, you know, like Forbes 100 list or four or 500 list. A lot yeah. of people just want to build a business around either helping people, you know, getting information out, supporting people, having a business that allows them to support their family. Like a lot of the dreams are not always, I want to be on a cover of a magazine kind of dream. (laughs) You know, they're very reasonable dreams. And I think that's the challenge is when we think about what government can do and what policy can do, and even what consumers can do is kind of understand that there's different types of businesses in this kind of, you know, in this box, if I had to say, you know, this entrepreneur box, that there's not just businesses that are trying to skyrocket to the top, but there are local businesses that can be really strong, like foundations in our communities, in our neighborhoods that can do like great and amazing things and not have 50 locations, you know, and not have, you know, all those things, but they can be very great staples. They can employ people, they can provide education, they can provide location for people to have events, all of these things that can come out of entrepreneurship that I don't think always the general population is is thinking about. Exactly, yeah. And if I may add on to that, I think just as a culture, we define success uh, in a very limited way that prizes exploitation in a lot of lot of respects. Like the, the Fortune 500s and 400s and just all those metrics in, the, in pop culture are measured by just how much stuff can this person or their company create and how much stuff it takes that, for them to do it. And yes. we really need to reevaluate that, especially in the current climate that we're in, no pun intended, but in the in the Anthropocene that we find ourselves in, we need to look and say, like, okay, what is the measure of success? Is it when we when someone consumes the most and produces the most for others to consume? Or is it when they actually have a mindset to want to safeguard what is precious to us, like our lives, our environment, and the other non-humans that we coexist with? And um, yeah, I really hope just as a culture and also as in policy, that's one thing I, I like to write about is just we can start changing that by just 
talking to ourselves and defining what we think of success in ourselves, but also looking into policy. Like, we don't have to incentivize exploitative industries. If we want to, we can look into policies that that are more about protecting and conservation and incentivize those industries too. So yeah, just one thing we can, it, it all begins with just a change of mindset. And that's absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And like he said, it's, it's incentivizing, but it's also recognizing, you know, it's not just yeah. recognizing someone for their bottom line, but recognizing them for what they are doing for their community. How are they maybe removing a step in the supply chain, which can reduce the impact on, you know, waste products or water waste or things like that, you know, being able to kind of get the recognition for doing something that maybe others aren't doing. Um, mm -hmm. And being able to say that, you know, when we started, we reduced our footprint by X percent. Like that's something that I wish was praised more because it inspires people to believe that their business can be more than just financially viable. It mm -hmm. inspires people to realize that they can have a business that can impact the world and or even just impact their community. It doesn't have to go so big, yeah. <laughs> but it can impact people in a very positive way. And then sometimes you're impacting people that aren't even your customers. You exactly. know what I mean? That's yeah. the thing that's so beautiful about a business and what I think entrepreneurship can really do for the world. Yeah, exactly. And I saw that a lot in the, if I may just say, um, I saw that in the entrepreneurs and the vegan businesses I, I visited for this study. There's one that unfortunately has since closed, but um, it was a neighborhood favorite called Fairy Cakes. And mm -hmm. their mission was just to, and I, I thought it was beautiful, it was just to allow anyone, regardless of their dietary needs, to just be able to enjoy a birthday party without having to worry about allergies or worry about them. So if all the cakes and all the products were um, hypoallergenic and vegan, and so like there was no nuts or any aller other allergens there. And it was delicious. And it's just that the idea is that anyone who just wants to enjoy, you know, just enjoy a party with others who have other different dietary needs than themselves, you can all just enjoy it at the same time. And that's great because you've not only, one, filled a, a need and done a service, but you've also shown to your neighborhood and either local or global that you care and that, that you have a um, mission to not just do well in the business world, but you also uh, have incentivized and shown the good that comes with when you're just thinking empathetically about yes. your customer base and about the world around you. And um, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on about the entrepreneurs who did that. There was a lot of them had that kind of mindset, which like, for example, Tintory Brows had that same mindset and they were about trying to create like eyebrow tints that were for skin tones and hair colors of, across the spectrum. And I just was like, that's great. You know, that's, that's the way to do it. Just kind of keep the empathy in mind. And then the business comes soon afterwards. Yeah. And they don't have to compete. I think that's the other thing. I think sometimes people feel like, well, then I don't care about the bottom line. And I'm like, you don't have to not care about the bottom line because I do want you to be in business. I want you to be able to support your family. I want your even livelihood to be able to come from a business that does good as opposed to, you know, you, you work in your business, but then you have to go work for this massive corporation, you know, to pay for a mortgage or a light bill. Like it's a beautiful thing when we can kind of create these, you know, ecosystems that support people financially. Um, mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, our funds and our revenue and all that stuff's coming from the right place. 
Um, so I often talk to people about it and we probably don't have enough time today to cover all of that, but I love talking to people about how it doesn't have to be an or statement, that these things can really work together. And I think that's what can make a different type of business is when you start to merge these things together and create a priority around, yes, I may be looking at my bottom line, but those decisions I make on my bottom line have to create greater impact for my community, you know, not just my bottom line. And I think bringing those two things together can make a very strategic and often sometimes sustainable business. Yeah. Beautifully put. Yeah. And you're right. That's something that a lot of entrepreneurs, especially as they're entering the game and they're entering the space, that it is scary. But um, as you put it, it's it doesn't have to, compassion and the bottom line are exclusive. Yeah. You can find ways to make them work. And there are a lot of examples of that. Absolutely. So since you don't have time to go through everything, and as we're kind of wrapping up today's um, session, let's make sure that people can get to your website, follow you on social media, email you if you are willing or would like to give out an email address. What's the best way for them to, you know, reach out and get a better understanding of not just the research work that you do, but continue to follow you on your, you and Brie, on your adventures? Great. Thank you for asking. So on our socials, our handles is at It's Brie and Ben. And you can find us on Instagram, on Pinterest, as well as Facebook. We provide links to our website, which is the where our core content really is on our socials there. And um, we're going to be starting doing lives, Q&As and things like that later on in the year. But uh, we do have our website, which has our core content core content, as I just mentioned there. And if anyone wants to take a look at our work and, or if they are looking for guides at particular destinations, just uh, go there and search through it. And uh, I myself at the moment am looking for new projects and collaborations to do that look at um, vegan philosophy, especially as it's manifest in policy. So if anyone needs a researcher or just someone to to write and or to edit or anything like that, then feel free to reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn here. As so, if you're looking at this, you can send me a message, or uh, you can send me an email at contact at itsbrianben.com. Perfect. So don't forget, everyone, to reach out whether you're just looking for some information, curious because of today's interview, or if you need a researcher, you might have heard this podcast and been like, "Oh my goodness, I have someone to talk to and reach out to." So I definitely want to make sure that you reach out. And, you know, take action from these interviews, because one of the things we really hope happen from doing these sessions is that we all kind of support each other. And sometimes it's hard to know, you know, who's working on what projects. And I'm hoping, you know, podcasts like this help you understand not only, especially in this example, the great work that Ben has already done, but also creates an opportunity, like you even said, Ben, you know, for future collaboration, because I think future collaboration is just really key in how we can do more um, in each one of our own spaces. So thank you for saying that. So as we wrap up, one thing I always love to ask people is insight into, you know, their journey into their process. You know, you said you started this in 2015, you know, going through that process of becoming vegan, then getting on the road, going into a research process, you know, that's a lot of time and a lot of experience. So as you look back today, on that time and look back on some of the things that you've been through, what have been some of your biggest aha moments or what was one of your biggest learning that kind of has reshaped you, reshaped your perspective and reshaped the way that you kind of look at the world 
and look at even the world through even an entrepreneurial lens. Yeah. Oh man, so many answers. I'll try to keep that or so many like that's so great. My my mind is teeming. So the greatest like aha realization, of course, like intellectually, it was kind of seeing veganism in different ways there. But for me personally, it was learning to be kind to myself and um, allow myself to learn through that process. And I encourage that for anyone there. That success doesn't begin with being mean to yourself and to those around you and just punishing yourself if something didn't turn out just the way it does. Like to me, I thought website design had to look a certain way. And I thought that I, to be an entrepreneur, I had to be cutthroat at the beginning and have a lot less mercy <laughs> for myself and, and how that works. And I was like, Wait, that's not the that's not a vegan philosophy. You know, it's, and that's not how people learn. They don't learn when they're under great duress. So I'd say the best lesson I've learned through all of this is if you encounter any difficulty, don't hate yourself. Take a breath and then see like, okay, what is it that I really need to learn? What is it that I'm expecting of myself? Is it practical? And if it is, and if it fits with your mission, look for resources and for people who can help you get there. There are those that are out there and would love to help you. You just need to find them. And then that, and if you are just honest and kind to yourself, then that honesty and kindness will gravitate others there to want to help you in your mission. And, and um, yeah, that's, that's been the biggest realization I've had in the past few years, for sure. I love that. I'm really glad that you shared that because I think sometimes we can all beat ourselves up. We can all push in one direction. We can all even sometimes set expectations for ourselves or expectations for people and don't realize that, you know, I mean, we've set an expectation that isn't maybe even the right next step on our journey. You know, sometimes we set an expectation that is something we've seen from somewhere else or we kind of bring it into our orbit and it really shouldn't be in that orbit. And I also think we forget that, you know, we are an asset as well. You know, we have to be nurtured, taken care of and so forth. We, you know, there's so many books about being on the grind and getting stuff done and working hard and, you know, bragging about, you know, I only got two hours of sleep last night. And that's been like one of those things I've even changed in my life where I'm like, I'm not bragging about bad habits. Yeah, it's not a good thing. (laughs) So, you know, changing that um, mentality and perspective is key. So thanks so much for sharing. Thanks so much for sharing your experience, your journey. And I've really had a great time talking with you today. It's been a great pleasure and privilege. Thank you, Stephanie. Absolutely. And for anyone who watched us live, always love it when you show up live. Thank you so much. It's so fun to have everyone kind of here while we're in the moment. But I also know many of you listen to this as our podcast or be watching this later. So if you have any questions or any comments for our guests, please feel free to use the comments. We will always check them out and respond to them. Otherwise, I will see everyone in our next interview. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to Pivot, our vegan business interview podcast. This is recorded as a live streaming session. So I hope you'll join us for future interviews as well. We offer these interviews to help vegan entrepreneurs stay connected with the vegan business community. If you're interested in more in-depth insights or training, please consider subscribing to one of our premium podcasts, Going Solo or Fix It. Visit veganmainstream.com to learn more or click on the links in the show notes.